0: So, today in Numbers, we're going to explore how do I live like a blue tassel Christ follower? How do I live in a world and a culture that is full of chaos, full of corruption, a place where we are often encouraged to do exactly what Numbers warns us not to and follow our own hearts and eyes? And just before we dive into that, I wanted to just pray with you for a moment as our team was talking. One of the ways that we're trying to live in the world right now is knowing how to pray about everything that's going on between Russia and Ukraine. I know at my own men's group this week, we spent about 20 minutes just talking about the anxiety that can produce and, and how do we pray about these things. So would you take just a minute with me and let's pray over that situation right now. Father, I'm, I'm just going to admit standing here that I do not understand all of the details of the situation that when I read the news stories, it's hard to filter what is, um, what is real. And Lord, it's also hard to fathom just how dark some of what's happening is when it can feel so far away. And so we just want to lift this up to you because we are your people. Because we know that you listen to us. Because we believe that you are a God who fights for us. That you are a God who cares about justice and who cares about right in the world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would tear down evil, that you would oppose wickedness. God, we pray also for the people in Russia and in Ukraine. God, for those who are being hurt by this war, for the images we see of families being torn apart. God, we ask that you would intervene, that you would bring peace where there is no peace, that you would bring comfort where there is no comfort. Lord, we also just pray because we we keep hearing stories come out that people are flocking to churches because in desperate times they look for desperate solutions and that there are people who may be turning to you for the first time ever or the first time in a long time. And so God, we know that you don't waste anything and we pray that you would use these moments to draw people to yourself and God for the Christ followers, for the churches. For the people who are in Ukraine who are trying to help provide relief, but also provide spiritual guidance, would you strengthen them by your Holy Spirit? Lord, for those who are in Russia who are mourning over this because they know how wrong it is, God, would your spirit encourage them as well, and would your gospel spread through those two countries and through the world, even in light of this, and God, would you bring justice? Lord, we ask that humbly, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Guys, it is not easy to live as a blue tassel Christ follower. It is not easy to live in such a way that the world can see that you're different. We spend a lot of our energy trying to figure out what what does this book mean? What is God telling me? What would he say? And how do I live that out? And even in our best moments, there's often something inside warring against that. (laughs) Like, oh, that's what God wants me to do? Probably I, probably I should do that. And then a week later, I'm like, oh yeah, that thing I was supposed to do. There's my, my reminder, right? And so here's what I find really helpful. Today, as we dig into Numbers 15, it has three principles, three blue tassel principles that are going to help us live that way. But if you read Numbers 15, you'd be forgiven if you missed them because it's one of those chapters that has kind of a lot of stuff about offerings and sacrifices, things that are really tied to the Old Covenant that that we don't do anymore. We don't need bulls and goats and rams and all of those things. So you'd be forgiven if you missed it, but to help us not miss the principles behind it, I want to use this tool that Chad shared with us last week to help us move from their town... Ancient Israel, under an old covenant, right, there's a language barrier, there's a chronological barrier, I mean this is thousands of years ago, there's a cultural barrier, and how we cross that wide river, what is the principle that bridges us to our town in Cincinnati today? What is it that we can pull from Numbers 15 that is true for all people, all over the place, all the time? So to do that, let's dive into our passage. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 15. This is how it starts. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you, and you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering or in your appointed feasts to make a sweet aroma to the Lord from the herd" the flock now now I know I'm stopping in the middle of a sentence there but it's because I want you to catch this you realize in chapter 11 there was intense complaining by God's people that led to death and then in chapter 12 there's rebellion from God's people and then in chapter 13 we get even more complaining from God's people so that in chapter 14 we got even more rebellion to the point that God has just told them that for 40 years they are going to wander in the wilderness. That an entire generation of the people are not going to see the promised land. Except for two. Caleb and Joshua who had a different spirit. Things have been incredibly intense. The disobedience has been getting stronger and stronger. And you would think this is it. I mean, if you were among the people, you would have to wonder can God really do what God says he can do? Or have all of his promises fallen apart? Maybe there's no promised land after all. Maybe there's no inheritance after all. Maybe everything he said to Abraham, like he meant it, but he couldn't pull it off. So, coming out of the rebellion in chapter 14, and before we get to the rebellion in chapter 16, look at what God says in chapter 15 when you have come into the land not if when what i love about this is that in spite of all of their rebellion they cannot stop god's plan and they cannot stop god's promises not only that he says which i am giving to you So that means that everything else in this chapter, all of these offerings, all of these blue tassel principles, everything he's going to tell them about how to live in the land is when you have come into the land. So catch that, because what that means is everything he describes today is not do these things and I'll think about bringing you into the land. It's not if you accomplish all of this, then I'll owe you the land. It's when you come into the land because God is going to keep his promise, they will be able to do the things that he's instructing them today. And honestly, all of these offerings, all the generous gifts they're going to give to him, that's our first blue tassel principle. Give big thanks to the Lord who keeps big promises. You see, a lot of these for them, like it's going to be bulls and goats and rams and flour and oil and these kinds of things that we we don't really think about. But essentially that's their income that's their wealth and so he's calling them to generous giving because he keeps his promises not to earn the promises but out of thanks and out of worship our giving is worship so look at how this shows up in the passage i've summarized the next handful of verses here for you in this chart I found this in one of my commentaries, and uh, Sam put it together for me so you could see it here. Because basically, what I want you to notice is, when you look at the animals on the left side, as the animal gets bigger, so does the amount of flour or oil or drink that goes with it. So if it's a lamb, it's a tenth of an ephah of flour, but if it's a bull, it's three-tenths of an effa of flour. Right? So a lot of that probably means almost nothing to us, and none of you are going to go home and, and count out your bowls and measure out your flour. Right? But here's the thing. These are extravagant gifts. Part of the thinking here is that if you are living in the wilderness, and to even eat today, you need manna from the sky. And God says, yeah, but when you get to the land, you have to give me all of this stuff. I want you to to give this way. What it's saying is that God is going to so tremendously bless them that they actually could give these offerings. Something they couldn't even imagine right now. And so he summarizes there at the bottom of the screen in verse 11 and 12 by saying, Thus it shall be done for each young bull, for each ram, or for each lamb or young goat, according to the number that you prepare, so you shall do with everyone according to the number. So there's a sense there that the giving is is proportional. That if you can afford a lamb, you can afford these things that go with it. If you can afford a bull, you can afford these things that go with it. That their worship comes out of what God has blessed them with. I don't know about you, but that makes a lot more sense to me than like a, a half a hen of oil. <laughs> that I give out of what God has given to me. And so it's not only according to the number of those animals, but it's also everyone according to their number. That's kind of a, a weird say of saying each and every person. So who is everyone? Look at the next verse. All who were native-born shall do these things in this manner, in presenting an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you, or whoever is among you throughout your generations, and would present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations, as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Now this is one of those places where you can tell that we're kind of in the legalese now because God starts to repeat himself multiple times to make sure you didn't miss this. That when he says it is both for you and the stranger among you. Remember, we've hit on this a couple times in Numbers and we'll see it again. Essentially what God has just said is, This is for anybody who is a part of Israel and anybody who's not a part of Israel. That's the entire planet. Anybody who wants in on the covenant with God, who wants to worship him this way, who wants to give thanks to him this way, who wants to live under his law this way, is invited in just as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord through his covenant. It's such a beautiful picture of who God is. Because what that means is wherever you are today, however you're joining us, if you are Jewish or if you are not Jewish, right? So we could do show of hands, but that would be everybody. Whether you're Jewish, part Jewish, not Jewish, God has an invitation for you to covenant blessing. God has promises available to you through Jesus Christ. In fact, the New Testament says that every promise God has made is yes through Jesus. That's what unites us. It's not our nationality. It's not the things we enjoy for entertainment. It's God's promises through Jesus. That's why thanksgiving is such a huge part of this. And and verse 17 highlights that again. Saying that again the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them... When you come into the land to which I bring you, okay. when you come into the land which I bring you, then it will be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord. Okay. Well, you don't have to worry about manna anymore. You're going to eat of the bread of the land. Offer up a heave offering to the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering, as a heave offering of the threshing floor, so you shall offer it up. Of the first of your ground meal you shall give to the Lord a heave offering throughout your generations. Again, that idea of the heave offering is an offering of thanks. Much like the wave offering. It's something that we hold in front of the Lord. And the reason it comes from the first right off the top, not what I have left over, is because I realize there is no bread of the land. There is no threshing floor. There is no grain and there are no cakes. Except that God keeps promises you know a couple weeks ago my wife and I we we walked into this room and and like many of you we have a place that we usually sit but we sat somewhere else (laughs) we came in and sat on the opposite side of the room and it was amazing how many people commented to us afterwards I thought you weren't here today (laughs) or like what were you doing over there you know like like we have names on our seats but What was kind of interesting to me was right after the service, a gal sitting in front of us that my wife and I have gotten to know turned around and said, hey, because you're sitting here today, I just had to tell you this. I'm like, well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Maybe we're supposed to be sitting here. And can I just tell you, I just heard the most encouraging story of a gal facing just some incredible challenges and choosing to trust God. And some of those challenges financial some of those challenges are relational and probably the most difficult was that um, just in the last few weeks her mom passed away and as she was telling me this and as the the tears are welling up in her eyes she said that this series in numbers has been so helpful because with all of the painful things that have been happening in her life she's found that it's causing her to complain that she could just feel it weighing down on her and that in her mind she was always rehearsing how how these things are not what she wants them to be. And I'm thinking that's, I mean, that feels totally fair. You know, she said it got to the point that, you know, without mom coming with her, she didn't know if she felt like being in this building or showing up to volunteer the way that she usually does. But she woke up one morning and she realized, if I give in to the complaining, I'm going to miss seeing where God is actually blessing me. If I give in to this dry feeling of wilderness, I'm going to miss on what God might do next. So she decided to show up anyway. She showed up to volunteer and she sat in front of us that day and told us this incredible story of how she is trusting God. Guys, what I love so much about that, I mean, we we see how sideways things have gone for Israel in the last few chapters. But this is a woman who stood in the midst of her wilderness... And is standing there now and is saying, I trust God anyway. I trust that He is with me. I trust that though it may feel like I'm wandering, I believe God to plot my course. And that if I need course correction, I can trust Him for that too. That I don't want to miss out on joy and peace, even in the midst of the wilderness. I want to be with God, I want Him to be my God. I can't tell you how much that just encouraged me for the next week. You know, especially as we go through this series and I catch these little places where it's like, oh my goodness, I, I complain too. <laughs> Lord, soften my heart. Because, Christ follower, I know that there are times in life that it feels like you are trapped in the wilderness, that it feels like we are wandering in circles through the desert. But, but do you see that red space highlighted up there? There is a promised land. And when you feel like you are caught between Egypt and Canaan, in this place that feels like a wilderness, would you remember that God has made you good promises and he will keep every single one? That he has promised. When you feel like you've been struggling against sin and you keep losing that battle and you feel like giving up but you don't want to give up and then you remember he promised you. That he will complete the good work that he has begun in you. He has promised you that there is no temptation in your life that you cannot overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. He has promised you. Man, we were talking about this one at group two, that he sings over you. He rejoices over you and he delights in you. He is preparing a place for you. And if he told you that, then you know he's going to come back and get you and bring you to that place and he's going to walk you through the place he built and says, I put this because I knew you'd love it. Those promises are yes in Jesus Christ even when it feels like a wilderness. And so that's part of living like a blue tassel Christ follower in this world. Is that instead of the complaining we are focused on giving big thanks to the God who keeps big promises. Because when we do that, then in the passage, he begins to shift to how that affects our conduct, like our moral conduct. And so I'm going to read a a relatively big chunk here. So don't worry if you get kind of lost in the details. I want you to listen for key words, the way that God is using repetition here. He says, if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments, which the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day the Lord gave the commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it will be, if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering. We just saw those, right? According to the ordinance and one, goat of the ki- one kid of the goats as a sin offering. All right, hang with me. So the priest shall make atonement, that's another key word, for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, another key word, for it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and the stranger who dwells among them, because all the people did it unintentionally. And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native born among the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwells among them. All right, you catching some key words there? I'm hearing unintentionally did you hear that one (laughs) I think he just said that like a dozen times and what goes with it is that even if the sin is unintentional like that there's actually a sense in which this is possible they didn't they didn't know it was sin or they didn't realize they did it or they found out later they'd hurt somebody whatever if the sin was unintentional they still have to deal with it they still need atonement and forgiveness whether it's the whole congregation like, we have a corporate responsibility for this, or whether it was one person. So, here's our second blue tassel principle don't let sin slide. Don't let sin slide. Even if it was an accident, even if you didn't mean to do it, don't let sin slide. God's telling them, This is so critical to who you are as my people. And He has abundant mercy. He has abundant forgiveness. Isaiah talks about even more forgiveness than you actually need God has available for you. But he never paints the picture that that means that sin doesn't matter, that we don't worry about it, and that there are no consequences. Instead, it's that's exactly why we want to deal with it directly. Because even if it was unintentional, when the congregation realizes it's happened, hey, let's deal with it. Let's go to God for atonement and forgiveness. I love this because I think that God is really smart about human beings because in one sense yes things happen on accident it was unintentional we didn't mean to do it and God's saying well I I still want you to deal with that but I also think like I I probably did this but I can think about my own kids for now that that lets me remove it one layer right (laughs) my kids just in the last couple weeks one of my kids comes up to me and says that the other kid kicked them in the leg, and punched them in the stomach. Like, I am in the room with them. How did this happen? There's, there wasn't even a fight. I didn't see anything going on. And so I call the other kid over. I'm like, I got to get to the bottom of this, right? I say, why did you kick them in the leg and punch them in the stomach? It was an accident. Really? Really? But that's like, how often do we do that? Like, as if that means I shouldn't be in trouble, I shouldn't have consequences, it shouldn't matter, it should be like it never happened because I said it was an accident. Hey, well, would you say sorry? I said it was an accident. Like, chill. How do you accidentally kick someone in the leg and punch them in the stomach? Well, I was just pretending to kick and punch, and I accidentally actually did it. Okay, you know what? Here's this thing God says is in Numbers 15. Even if it was unintentional, we need to deal with this. We can't let sin slide. It's too important. Because it hurts us. And I can't tell you, just in my own life and how many people I've talked to where ultimately we become so thankful that God didn't say, oh, Well, I mean, I guess we all make mistakes and just let me go on in my sin. That as painful as it can be to deal with it, I've never met a person who looked back and said, I wish God had left me in my sin. Personally, I always look back and say, I wish I'd never done that. But I'm so thankful that he forgave me, that he's been teaching me, strengthening me, that he teaches me self-control, that he gives me a spirit to actually pull off the obedience he's asking of me. Because now God is going to shift from the unintentional Okay, like let's, let's say legitimately, really didn't even mean to, like it was just an accident. All the way to the opposite end of the spectrum. Because if you're like me, I'm like unintentional, 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 but what if I did it on purpose? Like that's happened, right? Only to me, not to you, I know. But what if I did it on purpose? God actually skips like right over on purpose, all the way to on purpose because you despise God, right? Complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And so look at what he says. This is verse 30. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord and he shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. That idea of being completely cut off is probably the heaviest consequence that God presents in the Old Testament. It's not always clear exactly what it is, but it is clear that it is total and that it is something only God can do. So sometimes even when there are human consequences, they are also completely cut off by God himself. So when I read this, this can generate fear and anxiety in me maybe it happens in you too one of the things i want to know is how do i make sure that i don't do anything presumptuously right so here's what's helpful is if if you take that word and you say okay well what does presumptuously mean like there's one other place that shows up in our translation but it's actually a different hebrew word if i jump over to google and type define presumptuously i'll get sort of there But what's really helpful when you're studying the Bible, especially on something that feels like that's a pretty big deal. I don't want that to be me. I need need to know exactly what this means. Um, Literally, the Hebrew word for that means with a high hand. The picture being that this is somebody who raises a fist at God and says, I hate your law. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'd like to see you do anything about it. And the place that I found that actually is and one of the apps that you hear us talk about is the Blue Letter Bible app. Easily like my number one go-to Bible tool. Like I have a bunch of commentaries and there's all kinds of things you can search through. But one of the easiest ones is to just pull that up on my phone. In fact, this is a screenshot from my phone where if you're reading Numbers 15 in the Blue Letter Bible app, you tap verse 30 and this list of tools comes up. You tap commentaries, you can see it at the top there, and it'll have a bunch of guys who have written on this specific passage so that when you have a question on this verse you can get information about it david guzik is one in there that i like to read but matthew henry is another one his commentary has been around for a long time uh, and there's a reason that it's lasted here's what he says about the presumptuous sin it is that sin for sinning sake in contradiction to the precept of the law and in defiance of the penalty that fight against God and dare him to do his worst. So you see how this isn't just the Christ follower who, who may have stumbled this week and needs to turn back to God. This is a person who has rejected God and his word consciously with like a fierce anger. Because there are many times as Christ followers that we are seeking God's word But we fall short of his standard for us. And yet we still hold it in high honor. That we have a sense that what I've done was wrong and I need to to get right with God. That is completely foreign to the presumptuous mentality. And that helps us then because the next thing that he talks about in this passage is essentially a case study of the presumptuous sinner. And if you read it by itself, like I remember the first time I saw this next part, I was like, oh my goodness, if that guy's toast, I'm toast for sure because there's, there's a guy picking up wood on the Sabbath. I'll just kind of summarize this for you. He's picking up wood on the Sabbath. They catch him. They stone him. He, he never says a word. I'm like, <gasps> I'm imagining myself like, I didn't realize it was the Sabbath. Wait, wait, you know, as they're dragging me off. It's, sorry, no mercy. But you realize it's, it's meant as a case study of the presumptuous sinner. The assumption in this story is that this is a man who's sinning with a high hand, a raised fist to God. Oh yeah, he saw the complaining in chapter 11. He knew about the rebellion in chapter 12. He saw the complaining in chapter 13. And he heard God tell him they're not going to the promised land in chapter 14. Well, I don't know what kind of God this is, but I'm not going to follow him. Bro, you're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath like we already know that's a death penalty. What do I care what God says? He's not letting us in the promised land anyway. That's the picture that's behind what's happening here. And so it says that the people of Israel, they find a man who's gathering wood on the Sabbath. It's not totally clear what to do with him. And so they go ask God. And God says, you need to stone him. And so he's given a death penalty for this. Now that's still hard to read. But you remember, Chad kind of hinted at this last week with the idea of how much revelation they've been given. We're still only two years removed from Egypt. This is a man shaking his fist at God and saying, I'm going to gather wood anyway, who saw the Red Sea parted. He walked through on dry land, he saw the plagues that brought down the gods of Egypt. He saw the rebellion and the consequences that were faced from that in the previous chapters, and he doesn't care. That's why it uses that word that he despises God's word. That's the picture of the presumptuous sinner. And so God is telling them, hey, you have to deal with this. All the way from, like, remember that time when it was just unintentional? All the way to the opposite end of the spectrum. We have to deal with sin. So here's the thing. You guys know this, but I think this is so important to remember. Because when we read passages like this that can weigh on us, here's the reality that we, we, can't, we just can't skate around. The wages of sin is death. You don't have to like that. You don't have to believe it. But that's what the Bible presents. And that a lot of times we treat the wages as, of sin as sort of like shrug it off. Like, well, you know, I mean, hey, we all make mistakes. Which is true. But God has told us that the wages of sin is death. But you know the rest of it, don't you? Because that's not the whole Bible. The whole Bible is not like a thousand pages of the wages of sin is death and wait till I prove it to you. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and how do you get that? Well, if you do the offerings and you uh-uh, uh-uh, uh, uh-uh. you don't get eternal life by anything you've done, but by the gift of God. The wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus died, so that you will never be under the condemnation that the presumptuous sinner was under. That you will never face that wrath of God because Jesus faced it for you. That when you stand before Jesus and say, I realize unintentionally and intentionally I have sinned. I have done things that go against my own conscience, my own standard, let alone a holy God, and I need forgiveness. Then all of those offerings, all of those sacrifices point forward to the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The reason we don't do bulls and goats and rams is because we have the better sacrifice and the better high priest. And his name is Jesus Christ and he guarantees you eternity. He guarantees you eternal life through the promise of God your father and the forgiveness because he took the death penalty for you. So what does it look like to live for Jesus, the one who would do all of that for us? Well, now you realize after talking about his promises, talking about how we deal with sin, realizing that those principles that are bridging us across that river are that we give big thanks because God has made huge promises to us through Christ. That we need to deal with sin in the practical sense of how we live, that matters but that God dealt with sin through Jesus himself so that you and I have life forever in God's presence. Then it's in light of all of that that he turns to verse 37 and says, Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. You see, he's marking them as his people. That they are special to him. They are holy, set apart. In fact, when I when I was in Israel, like you don't even have to get to Israel to see this. Like, Jews all over the world are still wearing these. They're wearing them on the airplane. They're wearing them during prayer time. There, there's like debate if we even, like, do we even have the right blue dye? Can we still put the blue thread in there, or should we just have white tassels? And so you'll see some with white tassels and some with blue. And it's it's amazing, but not surprising. How legalistic human beings can get about this we got to get that tassel right we got to make sure we get that tassel right and in fact even in in jesus day uh, if you read this there's a time where it talks about how jesus is talking to the pharisees and they've upgraded their tassels they want the really big ones so people can see just how holy i am but you see the problem with this tassel don't you no blue thread <laughs> it's a show-off tassel As if there's something about just looking holy. Like that's what God meant. And Jesus says, guys, you make your tassels so long and you don't even care about the poor. Because here's what God told them in Exodus 19. Here's what the tassel means. In Exodus 19, God says, I have made you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was wrapped in blue cloth. The tabernacle had blue Curtains, and even the outfit of the priest was embroidered with blue. Blue becomes God's symbol of holiness. And even though like the Levites were the priests, already God is saying, you are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. You represent me to the world. You show them what I'm like. Does that sound familiar? That is exactly the language that Peter uses in one of his letters for Christ followers. He says that we are a kingdom of priests and that when we live this way, when the people around us see the good deeds motivated by our love for God, it makes them turn to God. They go searching for who he is because of how we live. Guys, Numbers 15 is for us. And so he says in verse 39, You shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, I am the Lord your God. You see what's at the center of this whole thing for God himself? He wants you to be his people and he wants to be your God. That all of the reminders and all of the offerings and all of the obedience, they're all built on A relationship with him. And lest you forget, these are the people who refused to go into the land one chapter ago. One chapter ago. That when Caleb and Joshua made an impassioned speech for why we shouldn't do this, we should trust the Lord. The God who brought us out of Egypt will bring us into the promised land, and if he's with us, there's nothing we can't do. And the people say, stone them! And then right in the next chapter, God says, here's my plan to be your God anyway. This is how much God so loved the world. This is how much God loves you. And I can tell you, in my journey with God, there are many times where I'm just not paying attention to him. I'm not looking, I'm not remembering, and what do you know, I'm not doing what he's asked me to do. You know, whether that is things that need courage. You know, places where he's asking me to obey, to step out, to love someone, to serve someone, to give of myself. Or whether it's places where it's sin that needs to be dealt with, not to let it slide. And all I want to tell you is that in my journey, there have been many times where I've looked at the word obedience commandments, obey all that he's asked me to do. And it makes me cringe because I've already failed, so now I feel bad. Or maybe I don't want to do what God asks me to do, right? What if he asks me to do this? Or what if he asks me to change that? Or what do I have to admit that this thing was wrong? But I kind of like that thing. All I'm going to say is that the the further he takes me in my journey, the more of those things that he kind of shines a light on in my own heart the more I learn how sweet it is to obey God. Like even when it's difficult and you feel like, okay, God, I really don't want to do this, but I believe that it's the right thing to do and you want me to just be courageous and so, okay, I'm going to do it. And you feel like that was really hard and maybe it doesn't pay off in all the ways that you'd hoped, but the sense of satisfaction of like, I obeyed and he's with me and he loves me In fact, you read through the New Testament, like, go read the book of 1 John. You want to know, how do you show God you love him? You you buy him flowers, you send him a gift, you just say thank you once in a while, or you you want to show him that you love him, obey. That's the number one way to say, God, I'm tempted to do this, but I love you, (laughs) so I'm doing this instead. Um, I love you more than that thing, I'm going to do this, I'm going to obey. It's so sweet in that relationship with your heavenly Father. It's part of what alleviates from us the sense of like, I guess when I die, I'll find out how I did. And instead it turns into, hey, I spend every day with God. Every day, like there's a blue tassel reminding me. Because guess what? Those tassels we handed out to you, I I hope they're a reminder for you. But it's just a tassel. Even for the people, this is just a tassel. It's just a reminder, something to look at. But you have something as a Christ follower inside you that sets you apart. And that is the Holy Spirit. As a Christ follower, you have already been made holy. Even as He's working to make you more holy. That you have the Holy Spirit with you every day who will help you remember and who will help you do the things that God has called you to do. And so my encouragement to you this morning, look remember and do because the Lord is your God. And I'll just echo what Neil said earlier. It's hard for me to remember if I haven't looked in that book in the first place. And I'm amazed if I try to look in that book every day how many things he'll pull out of there and remind me, hey, it's like you read this morning. Oh God, how'd you know that was exactly what I needed today? All I did was turn the page, but there it is. God speaking again. It is living and active. That's why many of the tools that we try to provide here at Horizon, like, like these equipping services, you know, like the pathway video that matches up with these services, comes out every Sunday afternoon, another little three minutes to help you remember. Honestly, one of the best ways for me is the, the group of guys that I'm with later in the week, where I get a chance to have kind of that iron sharpens iron moment. And I know, I, I forget sometimes that people don't always realize we have a lot of groups going on. We don't have them all listed on the website, And a bunch of them are wide open if you're interested. So if you're interested in a group for gals or a group for guys, would you please come and talk to me? I would love to get you connected. It's an incredible way that helps me remember what God has said later in the week. But it really starts with my own time with God. And so I'd encourage you, maybe even this week, it's just taking some time to read Numbers 16 before you get here next week. To look, remember, and do because the Lord is your God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, I pray that we would never be caught in the legalism of of lengthening tassels or just, just showing them off, but God, that it would just be a reminder for us that we didn't earn that promised land. We don't earn that eternal life, but that you are a God who gives big gifts and keeps big promises, and so we give you thanks. Give us the courage to deal with sin. Give us the courage to follow you in a world that doesn't know you. Lord, that you might bring more people to yourself right here in Cincinnati, right here among our friends and neighbors, because they see something different in us. And we'll ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.